And I thought we'd pause for a bit in our normal course of line upon line, precept upon precept, study of God's word. We're going to study the Bible tonight. Amen. Amen. We're just going to look at a series of different passages based on the topic at hand. Now, really, I think what stirred me up to do this this week was a message or a question rather that came in uh, during our time last week with uh, Don Stewart. And uh, the question was about the rapture and the imminency of it. And we talked about that very briefly. And imminent simply means to be without warning or likely to happen at any time. And the imminency of the rapture of the church has been taught as a doctrine uh, for many years and that there are no signs associated with it. And that's true in a sense. But because we are pre-tribulation rapture believers... Amen. Thank you for that. That was awesome. Because we believe that the rapture of the church precedes the tribulation, there are things that we can see because the Bible tells us we will be able to view the day, speaking of the tribulation, that is approaching. But I think the first thing we need to establish is the biblical distinctions between the second coming and the rapture of the church. So let's start with the second coming first, and then we'll deal with uh, with the rapture. I want to share a handful of scriptures with you here uh, at the outset, the first being from Zechariah 12:10, where the prophet says, speaking by inspiration of the Spirit, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of what city? Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for a firstborn, or a lost, uh, the death of a firstborn child. In Zechariah 14, 3 to 4, we're told the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand where? On the Mount of Olives, which is in what city? Jerusalem. Does that not imply that at the second coming, the Jews have to be in possession of Jerusalem? Absolutely. So all this nonsense about uh, dividing the land and uh, all that, we just need to treat it as such. It's nonsense. It's the land of the Jews that God gave to them. And the eternal capital of Israel is Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Skipping down a few verses to 8 and 9, same chapter. And in that day, a phrase associated exclusively with the tribulation period there in the last three chapters of Zechariah. Living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Somebody say amen. amen. And in that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. And then skipping ahead to Revelation 1.7. We're told behold he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him even they who pierced him. Pointing back to Zechariah 12. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Now, the second coming is a time of mourning for the Jews. All the world will join in that mourning as the Messiah returns unveiled and in full power at his return when he fights against the nations who fought against Israel. He will then stand on the Mount of Olives, splitting, in, splitting it in two, the mountain will open up and water will gush forth, flowing into the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea, bringing the Dead Sea back to life. Can God revitalize an ocean or a sea and bring it back to life? Of course he can. He made them in the beginning and he'll restore life to the Dead Sea. Every eye is going to see Jesus at his return to the earth. Zechariah says it will happen in both winter and summer meaning it's going to be a visible event in both hemispheres. So it's going to be something that is uh, clearly global in scope, and the whole world will know that Jesus has returned. His feet, as they touch down on the Mount of Olives, 
will lead to the establishment of his kingdom on earth. And uh, his second coming is going to introduce his rule of the nations 4,000 years with a rod of iron as Psalm 2 prophesies. Now the rapture, however, is distinct in many details. In John 14, 2-3, Jesus told his disciples on the eve of his execution, in my father's house are many condos. Are many what? I don't know why some people try and diminish the word mansion. Into, it does mean dwelling places, but come on. Do you think heaven's going to be better than here? Well, of course it is. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and do what? Receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 also adds this, Paul writing, the Spirit inspiring, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, for meaning dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Being in Christ is something exclusive to the church. So indeed, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up, harpazo, raptured together with them to, uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the, in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Paul would add this in his last letter to Timothy in the last chapter in 4.8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, at the second coming, there's no mention of receiving anyone unto himself or meeting him in the air. It's a time of mourning which would not be comforting to any who heard that he was coming. Now, this tells us there are clearly two separate events that await us in the future as far as Bible prophecy is concerned. The first being the Lord meeting the church in the air. The second being the Lord coming with the church to the earth, according to Revelation 19.14. Now, two more things for us to consider. In the heart of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24.32-36, Jesus says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now listen close. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, much has been asked about why, if Jesus is God and God is omniscient, why would he not know this? And the answer is, I don't know. The Bible says he doesn't know, so he doesn't know. Okay? And that's the end of that. So, but what he did say is when the fig tree buds, you know that summer is near. And when you see all these things, you know that it is even at the door. Now, the first thing we need to note is that he mentioned two things that will be known. And then he mentions one that not only is unknown, but is unknowable. And that is the day and the hour of when he's going to meet the church in the air or the rapture of the church. Now, there are many details and interpretations to consider about the content of the Olivet Discourse, the fig tree, other elements related to the 70th week of Daniel, and the days before the flood. And we could talk about all those things and spend the rest of the night doing so, but we're going to stick to the matter at hand, which is determining what we should expect to see as we see the day approaching, though we do not know the day or the hour. Now, our topic tonight is found in our title, and our title is simply... The closer we get. 
the closer we get, obviously the object we're approaching is the tribulation, though we won't have any part of it. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, there are things or a thing we can't know. There are other things that only the fulfillment is going to reveal what was the actual or, or accurate interpretation. Now, we should expect to be able to see, however, that summer is near, and the closer we get, the more details that are going to become clear, and this is biblical as well. In Daniel 12, 7 to 9, Daniel was told or said, when he heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time times and half a time. In Hebrew, that means three and a half years. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till when? Till the time of the end. Now, sealed in this context means to be closed or locked up. Now, what Daniel was told is that at the time of the end, they're going to be unsealed or unlocked, and their meaning is going to become clear to the generation that is watching them come to pass. Now, since I hope all of us believe the rapture precedes the tribulation, then the signs related to the tribulation tell us the rapture is near, even out the door, without infringing on its imminency. So let's see what we can determine about the proximity of the tribulation based on things happening in our world today. So let's pray together, and then we'll start the message. Father, we are grateful tonight for this opportunity. Thank you for the days in which we live. And Lord, I pray that our time tonight would not only uh, enlighten us and give us a greater understanding that all that we're seeing happen today is what you wrote of long ago and all of it will be fulfilled and there is an end to it as well but lord i pray that even above an increased understanding that you would give us a fervor for the lost and perishing that lord even in these perilous times we would reach out to those who don't know you that they may come to faith in christ and be saved and also be spared from the time of wrath that is coming upon the whole world. Bring us to those ends, we pray tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to give you three basic things that we'll dissect a little bit. I'm going to give you some news stories, even throw up a couple of pictures tonight, uh, which is outside the box for us a bit. But it's okay to get outside the box once in a while, right? Yeah. And so we'll talk about some things that are happening in our world and what they mean as they relate to Bible prophecy. Now, here's the first of three things that we need to take note of. The closer we get the more the world is going to turn against the church. The closer we get, the more the world will turn against the church. Now, we know that at the birth of the church, at the initial Pentecost, or the fulfillment of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, when Jesus was wrongfully executed and three days later rose from the dead, fulfilling the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits, that the birth of the church also fulfilled the Feast of of Pentecost, and at that time, the church was empowered to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we also know that during the tribulation, there are going to be two witnesses who give testimony of Jesus, that's what witnesses do, who walk in Old Testament prophet-type power. Now, in Revelation 11, 7 to 10, we're told when they, the two witnesses, finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified, obviously Jerusalem. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now it's kind of interesting what they define as torment. 
Revelation 11.5 tells us, if anyone wants to harm them, the two witnesses, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. So in other words, they defend themselves against people who want to kill them, and they determine that to be, or, or liken it to being torment. Now, they defend themselves by the power of God, and the godless earth dwellers rejoice when they are dead. Now, we need to remember these things don't become realities, at least these character attributes don't become realities once the tribulation begins, but people are going to bring these attitudes into the tribulation, having reached their final decision about the person of Christ, at least those who are labeled as earth dwellers. And therefore, like other birth pang-like progressions that we have covered uh, in the past, so too will be the hatred of the witnesses for God that we see increasing in our day. It will arrive finally at the state where the world is going to rejoice over the absence of the church on the face of the earth. Now, in Matthew 24, 7 to 12, Jesus said about this time, that nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrow. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, betray one another, and what? Hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will, what? Grow cold. Now, if you're wondering if this is advancing in our day, and I don't think that anyone here is, I think we all see clearly what's happening with the church today. Let me give you some evidence as to things, or pointing to things that happened just in the past week and a half. The Associated Press is reporting that a megachurch pastor liked incompatible posts, so the city revoked his lease and ditched their outreaches within the city. Now, the article from the Associated Press actually says this is very scary. The church lost its home because one woman hated the opinions of someone so much she led an effort to destroy a man who dared to like things that didn't seem culturally sensitive to her. Now, Alabama's largest church, the article says, lost its leases this week after its senior pastor was, listen to this word, caught liking posts by conservative Trump supporter Charlie Kirk. And the Associated Press reported that Birmingham City Schools Board of Education voted last Tuesday to end its leases with the Church of the Highlands, which had been holding services inside two high schools, Prior to the reportedly unanimous vote to terminate the leases, the megachurch paid the school district roughly $12,000 per month to hold services. But the pastor liked tweets from Charlie Kirk, and so the city, the Board of Education, decided the church could no longer use their facilities. Now, in Romans 1, 28 to 20, uh, 32, we're told, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters. That's what this woman did. She was a backbiter. Haters of God. That's what the school district did. Violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also, what's the next word? Approve of those who practice them. Now, I think any of us that are, uh, have been around for a while, so to speak, recognize that the church used to be viewed by most in our country as the moral compass for our nation. And even unbelieving parents, I remember my dad even drove the Sunday school bus for a while uh, when I grew up in Anaheim First Church of the Nazarene. 
And we would go through, and he'd let me ride with him sometimes. We'd pick up kids from all over whose parents didn't go to church, including unbelieving parents. They sent their kids to church because they wanted their kids to know what the church stood for and establish some level of morality in their little hearts and minds. Now the church is viewed as narrow-minded bigots, and a lot of parents don't want their kids going anywhere near the church because of what the church stands for and believes. Now, this article comes from the Christian headlines. And the headline reads, Supreme Court's LGBT decision could pose grave threat to religious liberty, Christian leaders say. And Christian leaders and legal experts alike warned on Monday, that's this week, that religious liberty is in danger after the Supreme Court ruled the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity in employment. The case consisted of three separate lawsuits, one of which involved a Christian funeral homeowner who dismissed an employee who was biologically male but identifies as female and wanted to dress as a woman at work. The funeral home has a sex-specific dress code. And the Supreme Court, in its 6-3 to decision, ruled that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 makes it unlawful to fail to hire or fire someone on the basis of their LGBT identity. And listen, the 1964 Civil Rights Act has nothing to do with sexual orientation. It has to do with racism. It has to do with segregation. You cannot uh, not hire someone because of the tone of their skin color. It has nothing to do with your sexual orientation, which, by the way, is a choice. It's not something that you're born with. Because like everything that is genetic, anything genetic is irreversible. Listen, if you're tall, you can't wish one day you're short and then all of a sudden you're short. Right? Right, Mike? But there are stories of those who are transgender or gay or lesbian who repent and turn and change their life and live a heterosexual lifestyle, even get married and have children after that. And listen, that's just not possible with something that is genetic. So basically they're saying, they're agreeing with the popular thought, which is unscientific, that those who are born uh, or those who choose to live a homosexual lifestyle or a transgender lifestyle were born that way and there's nothing that they can do to change it. That's unscientific. It denies everything that's actually factual about gender dysphoria. Now, If you're wondering what all this means to us, here's what it means. It means that it will soon be before the Supreme Court as to whether or not the church has the right to teach the Bible's definition of marriage, gender, and sexuality. And the way things have been going and the way the church is now viewed as the enemy, you can rest assured that this supposedly majority conservative SCOTUS or Supreme Court is going to rule in favor of the masses instead of fact. Why? Because the church is not popular today, and it's opinions and feelings that matter, not truth and fact in these last days. Amen? Amen. Now, 1 John 2.18 says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as much as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, we read this on Sunday, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know... It is the last hour. So the last hour is knowable. And as we mentioned Sunday, Antichrist means either instead of Christ or against Christ. And we have many in places of leadership in our country that will support anything instead of Christ or anything that is against Christ, his church, and his word. Now what John implies is that the growing number against Christ is an indication that it is the last hour. Christ is the head of the church. And if you're against Christ, you're against the church. And this is going to increase in the last days. Now, one last thing. I want you to take a look at this slide titled Coronavirus Risk Level by Activity. Anybody see this online? Coronavirus Risk Level by Activity. Now, you're at a low risk if you play tennis or get takeout from a restaurant or a little bit more serious risk, going for a walk or a bike ride with others and getting fuel, you're at an increased risk getting groceries or camping, hotels, golfing, libraries, and museums. 
you're, you're always at risk going to the dentist's office, I think. Walking in a busy downtown, offices, doctor's waiting rooms, and the list goes on and on and on. Where does going to church rate? Number eight. It is the second highest at-risk activity according to, this is from the World Health Organization, the CDC, and much to my surprise, the Lancet Journal, which is one of the major medical journals and has been for almost 100 years, and they seem to have kind of lost their way a little bit in supporting this type of belief or promoting it. So bars and large music concerts obviously put you at the highest risk. Now, where are protests? Huh, they didn't make the list. Going to church is a bigger risk than schools, theaters, and casinos, and obviously protests, which must not be a risk factor at all. Now listen, the closer we get to the tribulation, the more the world will turn against the church. Now, the next thing we can use is a barometer of the lateness of the hour and the nearness of the rapture, and obviously the following tribulation is this. Listen, the closer we get, the more bizarrely irrational man's thinking will become. Now, I couldn't just say irrational because we had to throw bizarre in there because that's exactly what's going on today. The closer we get, the more bizarrely irrational man's thinking will become. And again, we need to highlight the fact that there is a progression of this that leads up to the time during the tribulation where it reaches its zenith, so to speak. Now, in Revelation 6, 15 to 17, we're told where this bizarre rationality is leading. Uh, John says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said, To who? Or to what? The mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now, here's the first thing we need to take note of. John is careful to point out that this kind of mentality is not limited to a specific demographic of society or a religious ideology or even a geographic location. John says government rulers, great men, rich men, military men, powerful men, and every working man and free man, doulos is the word for slave, will hide themselves from God knowing that it is he who is pouring out his wrath and they even knew that such a day was coming and that it's now happening. And later in Revelation we find in 9.20-21 that the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not what? They did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And then deeper into the tribulation, as the fullness of God's wrath is poured out, in 16, 8 through 11, we're told the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not what? They did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not what? They did not repent of their deeds. Now remember, Romans told us that those who did not like to retain God in their knowledge hated him. Can you think of anything more bizarrely irrational than trying to hide from and blaspheming God instead of repenting of your sin and crying out to him for mercy? Now, I can't either, but I, I think I heard you say no. Now, the world is clearly headed in that direction. According to the National Review, Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, said that COVID contract, uh, contact tracers asked not to uh, ask people if they have attended BLM protests. New York City's coronavirus contact tracing force 
are not asking those who test positive for COVID-19 whether they recently attended a Black Lives Matter demonstration, a city spokesman confirmed. No person will be asked proactively if they attended a protest, according to Avery Cohen, a spokesperson for de Blasio. He told the city about the directive, that's a magazine. If a person wants to proactively offer that information, there's an opportunity for them to do so, de Blasio announced last month. They have hired 1,000 contact tracers and he has promised to reveal Monday how many city residents have been questioned so far. Now get this, New York City officials have taken a soft stance over fears that mass protests could lead to a spike in coronavirus cases. You think? Listen to what he said. Let's be clear about something. If there is a spike in coronavirus cases in the next two weeks, don't blame the protesters, blame racism. This comes from Mark Levine, head of the city council's health committee. Now, that means that contact tracers need to trace the contacts of people who have been exposed to COVID-19, except for those who were exposed to the most number of people and potentially were exposed to COVID-19, people who did so in violation of the law. Now, obviously, we're all familiar with riots and looting, and we've been reintroduced to these things. And there was an article that came out the other day that the protesters don't like the media's use of the word riot or looter. I guess they want to be unconventional shoppers. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> uh, what title they're looking for. But think about this, and this has probably all made us scratch our head a time or two of late. Does it make any sense to express your outrage over racism and excessive force by using racism and excessive force? It doesn't even make any sense. Why would you burn down your own community? Because bizarrely irrational thinking is growing in our day. Listen, people have become so bizarrely irrational that those who protest against the border wall between us and Mexico, people who want to ban all guns, just took over uh, last week or about 10 days ago, six square city blocks of Seattle. And you know what they did? They put up a wall and armed their border guards to keep people from coming in or out that were undesirables. Is that bizarrely irrational? Genesis 6, 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only what? Evil continually. This is what it was like in Noah's day. This is what Jesus said it would be like before he returns. And as we get closer to the rapture and the following tribulation. Now, one of the popular characters that our president uh, has labeled with a nickname Rocket Man, uh, he has done something completely bizarre this past week. And the BBC is reporting that North Korea blew up the joint liaison office with the South in Kaesong. North Korea has blown up a joint liaison office with the South near the North border uh, in the town of Kaesong. The move comes just hours after the North renewed threats of military action at the Korean border. This site was opened in 2018 to help the Koreans, officially in a state of war, to communicate. It's been empty since January due to COVID-19 restrictions. Now listen to this. Tensions between North and South Korea have been escalating for weeks, prompted by defector groups, groups who have left or escaped from North Korea, sending propaganda across the border into the North. So Rocket Man had no choice. People sent propaganda in through literature, so you gotta blow up a building. Does that make sense? Bizarrely irrational. But it's not just the world that seems to have lost its compass or its mind. Some of the church seems to be following after. This next story comes from Newsweek, and it's a very, very well-known name that we'll mention here in a couple of moments. But the headline reads from Newsweek magazine, Atlanta megachurch pastor wants to use the phrase white blessings instead of white privilege. I don't even know quite what to say to that, other than that's really dumb. <laughs> a prominent Atlanta megachurch pastor wants people to start using the phrase white blessings instead of white privilege. Pastor Louis Giglio suggested the U.S. should get over the phrase 
white privilege in a conversation with rapper Lecrae and Chick-fil-A CEO Dan Cathy on June 14th. Around 20 minutes into the service, Giglio said, I feel like on the inside of the church, we're fighting this historical context, Lecrae, that you talk about. In other words, we love the blessing of the cross, but we don't love to sit in it and realize this is what God's asking me to do, to die to myself, to live for him in whatever context that's going to look like for me. Now, it's going to look like the same thing for all of us. But I want to flip that upside down because I think the other side of it's true within our nation's history. We understand the curse that was slavery. White people understand it. And we say that was bad. But we, listen to this, but we miss the blessing of slavery that it actually built up the framework for the world that white people now live in. I don't know where people, like, like Don says, you just can't make this stuff up. This is just <laughs> unbelievable. We need to remember something, and Giglio does too, in Galatians 3, 26 to 29, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I don't know. I think saying white blessing probably is a, le- a lot more offensive than white privilege. Because white people must be blessed. And if they're the ones that are blessed, other people with different skin tones are not. Isn't that what's implied? It doesn't make any sense. It's bizarrely irrational from where I stand. I hope it is to you too. Is the church supposed to stand against racism? Of course it is. Absolutely. But we're not to buy into this whole social justice movement, nor any of the rhetoric that's being used today. And listen, one thing we need to remember is that every person born is headed for hell. Right? Doesn't matter what the rapper looks like. Everyone born, I'm a rapper, not Lecrae, but, you know, the outside covering, your skin tone. Doesn't matter what amount of melanin you have in your epidermis. Our mission as the church is to reach people for Christ and those whom he saves are changed even from racist to loving people. God can still do that today. Amen? Amen. Now, one last thing this evening. The closer we get, the more demonic activity we will see. The closer we get, the more demonic activity we will see. Now, something we need to be conscious of in light of our topic tonight is you're not going to find the word demon or the phrase demon possession in the Old Testament. You'll find terms like evil spirits, like associated with Saul, or a distressing spirit came upon Saul, we found in 1 Samuel. And Satan would certainly qualify as an evil being in the Old Testament. But we need to remember something from Matthew 4, 24. We're told about Jesus when his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were what? Demon-possessed. That's the first mention or use of the phrase demon-possessed in the whole Bible. Epileptics and paralytics and he what? He healed them. Now, the reason that demon possession does not appear in Scripture until Matthew is I believe that there is a connection between the Lord's presence on earth and demonic activity, and and that would include demon possession. Now, the closer we get to the tribulation, the more of it we're going to see. Because in the tribulation, this happens, Revelation 12, 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has what? He's running out of time, so he's pulling out all the stops. Now, if we can see the day approaching, he can see the day approaching. And therefore, he is becoming more and more active in these last days because Christ is going to, seven years plus from now, put his feet back on this giant dirt clod and restore it to an Eden-like condition. Now, we need to recognize that the world is moving in the direction of Revelation 12.12, even as we sit here tonight, and the precursors to that time of woe on the earth 
have already begun. I want to show you another picture. We've just got two pictures tonight. This is a lovely slide. That is Baphomet, and he is the goat king. Now, it's interesting if you look on places like Wikipedia and other places that seek to define him, he is defined as a created god or something that's out of uh, someone's imagination. Well, listen, any god except for the god of the Bible is exactly that, something that someone has created in their own imagination. Now, the statue of Baphomet is a bronze sculpture commissioned, listen, by the Satanic Temple. It depicts the goat-headed winged symbol of the occult, and it was first unveiled in Detroit in 2015. It stands eight and a half feet tall. It features a pentagram as well as two smiling children looking up to this demon God. He is seated there as a central figure. Public display of this piece or mere suggestion of its display has been a key element of the satanic temple actions who advocate for the separation of church and state. They've been dragging the statue around to any public facility, including state capitol buildings where the Ten Commandments are on display, demanding that they be removed under the guise of separation of church and state, which we know isn't in, that phrase is not found in any of our founding documents. Are you aware of that? Separation of church and state was simply a phrase used by Thomas Jefferson to the Anabaptists, and it was in reference to what the U.S. revolted against when England said, you have to go to a certain, you have to go to the Church of England or you cannot uh, worship or be a Christian. You have to be a part of the state church. Now, interestingly, it's bad enough that this eight and a half foot tall statue is being dragged all over the country and set across from the Ten Commandments in protest, but you can buy Baphomet statues and pendants and necklaces on either eBay or Amazon for 18 bucks, or if you want a really big one, you can spend a little more money and have this satanic statue in your own home. Great. Revelation 9, 1 through 11 says, The fifth angel sounded. John says, I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. A star fallen uh, indicates a fallen angel. Uh, given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit. Smoke arose out of the pit like a smoke of the great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. May I suggest again, if you're here watching online and you're not ready to be taken in the rapture, you should skip the whole tribulation thing. It's going to be bad. Amen. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, listen to this, men will seek death and will not find it. They'll wish they were dead, but they'll not be able to achieve it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. It wasn't real gold, it was like it. And their faces were like the faces of men. It wasn't the faces of men, it was something like it. They had hair, next word, like woman's hair. It wasn't woman's hair. It was something like it. John is trying to describe something he's never seen in terms that he is accustomed to. And their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And they had tails like scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months and they had as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Hebrew and Greek both mean the destroyer. Who is the destroyer? Satan. Satan is the king of this uh, locust plague. Now, this scene, I believe, is in the not-too-distant future. Man has become increasingly lawless and loveless, Mankind is now promoting and protecting and approving of 
as Romans 1.32 said, the death of unborn children and sacrificing them to the God of sexual freedom. In Isaiah 5.20-21, the familiar passage where we're told, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, both of those being metaphors for truth and lies or good and evil, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise, where? In their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Now, we're hearing a lot about the Black Lives Movement today. And one of the things we need to recognize in our day, and many people say this isn't about abortion. Well, if you're going to talk about Black Lives Mattering, you bet it's about abortion. National Black Pro-Life Union says this, abortion is the number one killer of black Americans today. As of today, abortion has successfully killed more than 17 million babies since 1973. Their page goes on to say abortion providers are still being located for the most part in black neighborhoods delivering the same old message that if you're black, poor, and living in urban areas, you're not worthy of life. Do these black lives matter? Yes, they do. Listen, there has not been a greater evil in the world since the fall of man than killing millions of unborn children in the womb. You can't get any more evil than that. And Margaret Sanger said, birth control is nothing, the founder of Planned Parenthood, birth control is nothing more or less than weeding out the unfit. Well, who makes the determination that someone is unfit? Well, apparently Planned Parenthood has that job in her eyes. Listen, the closer we get to the tribulation, the closer we are to the rapture. And the closer we get to the tribulation, the closer we get to Jesus returning to the earth. And the closer we get to Jesus returning to the earth, the more demonic activity we're going to see. And thankfully, we're going to miss when Satan gets thrown out of heaven for good and comes down to the earth knowing he has but a short time. But we are living in evil days, and they are growing darker by the moment. And the Western Journal is reporting this exclusive interview from General Flynn, who made this comment. The headline reads, Forces of evil want to steal our freedom in the dark of night, but God stands with us. He was quoted as saying, there are seminal moments in American history that test every fiber of our nation's soul. We are facing one now. Revolutionary forces are causing every American citizen to question which direction the country is headed. To determine the outcome, we must examine our nation's history to project ourselves forward into the future. Once again, tyranny and treachery are in our midst. And although we feel we've descended into a hellish state of existence, we, listen to this line, we must never forget hell is conquerable. He goes on to say prayer is the greatest weapon and a consciousness of God is the ultimate thought of the day. God is the only hope. He is the only hope for our land and this world. And I agree with General Flynn that evil forces want to steal our freedom. But I would also say that the freedom the evil forces want to steal is a freedom greater than that of living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. I believe what he wants to steal is souls and the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. For he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That's the freedom that Satan is after. That's the freedom he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And listen, Jesus is coming soon. The world is tiring of the purifying and preserving moral influence of the church. The thinking of man has become beyond insane and evil is growing worse and worse. And the next thing the world is going to see, I believe, is this. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The rapture precedes the revealing of the lawless one. When, or whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of what? His coming. Yes, the rapture of the church is going to happen suddenly and without warning. We don't know the day or the hour of it. 
but we are seeing the precursors to things that will happen in their ultimate fulfillment during the tribulation. So all I have to say is we should be going home any day now. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen. Father, we again tonight are thankful for your word. Thank you that you have given us all the information necessary to understand the things that pertain to life and godliness. Thank you that you have revealed the past and how things began. You have revealed the purpose for mankind that comes through knowing Christ. And you have revealed the end of all things as well and told us what to look for in the generation that sees the day approaching. So Lord, I pray that as we traverse these times and see our country unraveling and note in our hearts and minds that the uh, United States, the most generous nation, the most powerful nation in the history of the world is absent from Bible prophecy. Lord, we pray that that is because the rapture cleans this country out from sea to shining sea. So Lord, we know that's going to take a great move of your spirit and we ask for it over this country and all others. Lord, that you would rescue souls from death and you would use your church to stand up in these last days and speak the truth in love that others might be saved. You've told us since the beginning, since even before the birth of the church, you told the 12 that you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But then you told them to go to those who hate them and preach the gospel to every creature. So Lord, help us to do that in these last days, even though the church is despised and rejected even as you were by men. Lord, you still, for the joy that was set before you, endured all of the things you did on the cross so you could save human souls. Help us to have that kind of heart and mind in these last days, in these ever-darkening times. We thank you again for your matchless word. Thank you for the specifics that you have given us uh, that we can know in the lateness of the hour, even as we await that unknown time when you come get your church and we meet you in the air. We thank you, Lord, that we will avoid all the things that follow because of our faith in you. And we add that you, we ask that you increase our number, Lord, through our efforts as we preach the gospel to every creature. We thank you for our time together tonight. We bless you, we honor you, and we conclude our time as Revelation concludes. Even so, come suddenly, come quickly. Lord Jesus, we pray these things in your most holy and sacred name. Amen.